welcome to Kavanaugh. Welcome to church. Please stand and let's sing together. Offer our praises to our King. Technical difficulties. We'll try again.
right. Amen. You guys can be seated. Hey, good morning, Kavanaugh Church. How's everyone doing? I don't know about you, but I am so thankful to be called his this morning. I am. I am so thankful to be called his. It's so good to know that the greatest sacrifice was made for us so that we could have a relationship, a new life in Jesus. And I'm so, so thankful for that this morning. And I know, and I can tell you are too because of how you're singing, and I'm so grateful that you all are here today to worship with us and to celebrate the life that we have in Jesus. I want to welcome a few of our guests. I know that we have a few guests in the room, uh, some new people, so welcome to our church. I want to welcome our online attendees. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, And again, we have a lot of great things in store for us this morning. So what I want you to do is invite you to stand. We're going to pray and ask God to bless our services today. So grateful that you're here today. Great to see you. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. And again, we know that you're here. We know that you're here. We're so thankful that we're able to gather together as your kids to experience you again. Lord, I I don't think that we often remember the reality of how far your reach really is. You want us all included in on this. You want us all to experience your love. You want all of us to be held by you. And Lord, I pray today as Brother Will gives the message and as we continue in our worship time that we know how much you care for us and how far you have gone to make sure that we are found in you. Thank you for that today. I lift you up. I lift you up. We praise your name. And Lord, Get all of us this morning in your name. Amen. Let's continue to worship. It was. 
exalt our Savior and lift up and praise His name.
salvation. Help us not to take that for granted. Help that not to get old to us. Let the redeemed say so. Let us be telling those in our circle of influence about you and how you've changed our lives, God. We give you praise and glory that you are the light. There is no darkness in you. You remove all fear. We just want to offer up sincere gratitude this morning and pray that you are pleased with our worship in this place. We pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. our praise team a big hand. They did a great job leading us in worship, and it's, uh, tell you what, it's good to be back home. I've, I've been uh, preaching now, pastoring for uh, probably over 36 years, and, and I mean, I'm just kind of programmed. Every Sunday I get up and preach. Every Sunday I preach, and so when I miss a Sunday preaching, it is very traumatic for me. And I was not here this past Sunday, and so I told the first service people, I, I feel like a uh, tiger that's just caged up, you know, I've been caged up, and I'm ready to, bless your hearts, you got, you got to sit through this. Good to have you here today, God bless you. For those who are watching online, thank you for watching, and we got a great service, great crowd here, Brother Johnny. Brother Johnny was like a little kid in a candy store this morning. Uh, because this is the first Sunday that he's back in session with all the kids. Had a great uh, crowd the first service, and I know there are a ton of kids back there today. So you pray, you pray for Brother Johnny, and then pray for Miss Gail as she has to deal with him the rest of the day. All right. So this morning I want to start a new series uh, from the Book of Jonah, and I'll talk more about that here in a second. Uh, back around 1800, uh, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark led a band of men to explore the, the great north central and northwestern portion of this continent. The expedition was first envisioned and then commissioned by President Thomas Jefferson, who called the Lewis and Clark expedition Courage Undaunted. Basically what they were trying to find is a waterway from the east coast to the west coast. And it was just a general assumption in 1800 that if they followed the, the water route of the Missouri River, it would lead them to the Pacific Ocean. So for about 15 months, they paddled upstream going up the Missouri River. And when they came to the headwaters of the Missouri, they thought if they just climbed over this little knoll, they would see the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> to their dismay, when they made it to the crest of that knoll, what they saw were the great Rocky Mountains. All right? and, and, and it just led into a whole new experience for them. Uh, they could have quit at any time. I mean, and they faced it. They, they faced hunger. They faced starvation. They faced, faced wrong assumptions. They faced savage Indians. At any point in time, they could have just camp, packed up their camp gear, turned around, and floated back down the Missouri and went home. But they didn't do that. And the reason why is Meriwether uh, had in his possession 
a mandate given to him by the President of the United States of America. He was on mission for this country, and that mission had to be accomplished. You know, the further the church gets from its original mandate from God, the easier it is for us to forget our mission. And so this morning and over the next several weeks, I want to remind you what our mission is as Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church. In fact, it's documented. This has been our mission for the past 20 years. And so let's put it on the screen and let's read this together. Will you read this with me? Let's read. At Kavanaugh Church, our mission is to win people to Christ. Three things we're called to do. Really, this is in accordance with the great commission that God has given us. We are to win the lost. That's our job as a church. That is the mandate Almighty God has given to us. That is our mission as individual believers. The people we come in contact with on a daily basis who don't know Jesus, it's our responsibility to win them to Christ. And, and we do that through a very simple plan of salvation. It's as simple as ABC. You, you have to admit that you are a sinner, and we all are. B, believe that Jesus is the only one who can save us from our sins. And then the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that Jesus rose from the dead, we shall be saved. So our mission is, as a church is to win people to Christ. But after we win somebody to Jesus, Nathan, we don't say, well, good luck. We take it to the next step. We train believers in Jesus to become disciples of Jesus. And really, that's what the Great Commission is all about. God said, go into the uttermost parts of the earth and make disciples. A disciple is someone who knows the Word of God and is following God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So our job as a church is to win people to Christ, to train believers to become disciples, and then send them back out into the world so that they can make an impact on this world with the good news of Jesus Christ. That, that just makes sense, doesn't it? Really, every healthy church should be doing that. At Kavanaugh Church, that is our mission. So let's read it again, and this time say it a little louder, all right? Like you believe in what our mission is. Read it with me. At Kavanaugh Church, our mission... What a great mission, amen? Isn't that great? I mean, that's what we should be all about. Now, open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah. And for the next couple of weeks, maybe as many as five weeks, I want to camp out in the book of Jonah. Uh, I researched this past week how many sermons I've preached from the book of Jonah, and it's a bunch. <laughs> I, I preach from this book a lot because, it, to me, it's a captivating story. But I want to look at it from a different perspective over the next several weeks. And here is the perspective we're going to look at the book of Jonah from. We are going to be on mission with God. Okay, God has a mission for this church. God has a plan for our world. And we need to get involved in God's program. 
We need to be on mission with God. So let's get started this morning. Jonah chapter 1. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3 for today. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, got on a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right? Now, I'm going to talk more about this in a second, but just wrap your mind around it. Literally, Jonah is running as far away from God as he possibly can. Tarshish was the furthest known point in the world at that time. And Jonah was getting as far away from God as he could. But you know what? Today I hope we learn the lesson that Jonah should have learned, and that is you can't outrun God. You can't run away from the will of God, but Jonah sure is trying to do it. Now, Jonah is, is one of the more unusual books in the Bible. Even people who are not believers have heard something about Jonah, because when I say Jonah, you say, well, I mean, everybody knows that story of, of Jonah and the whale. What's interesting is nowhere in the Bible does it call it a whale. Okay? It, it just calls it a big fish, or some translations, a huge fish. And because the book contains this fantastic, almost unbelievable story, many people have dismissed the book of Jonah as being purely fiction. But you need to understand that 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, says that Jonah was a real person, he was a prophet of God, and he actually prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II. That is somewhere around 793 B.C. And beyond that, Jesus Christ himself considered Jonah a historical person. How do I know that? Because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. He answered the people, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign. And that's really what the people wanted from Jesus. They wanted a, a, a pony show. They wanted Jesus to perform miracles. But he's saying, you know what? You're not going to get a sign like that from me. None will be given to you except, here it is, the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? The sign of the prophet Jonah. What was the sign of the prophet Jonah? He goes on to tell us, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So did, did you pick that up? The, the, the sign of the prophet Jonah is parallel with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the big fish three days and three nights, Jesus was going to be buried in a tomb for three days and three nights. But then Jesus goes on to say this. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn you. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. And who he was talking about is himself. 
Now, now I want you to envision this because I think it's pertinent for the time in which we live. Jesus is saying, when judgment day comes, the people of Nineveh are going to stand up and condemn you because Jonah, a mere man, came and preached repentance to them and they believed and they repented. But now one greater than Jonah, and Jesus is the greatest there is, one greater than Jonah is here preaching to you and you have not repented. Now, really, what that is doing is condemning the rest of us, is it not? It's condemning the world today and even America today because we have the completion of the gospel. We have churches that are spreading the good news of Jesus, yet there are multitudes of people who are not repenting of their sins. So Jesus considered the prophet Jonah a historical figure, and his story of preaching to the people of Nineveh actually happened. Now, unlike other prophetic books in the Old Testament, this story of Jonah really focuses more on the prophet's life than it does on his message. Let me turn that around and say it this way. Most of the books of the Old Testament that were written by prophets really focus on the message that that prophet preached. And we know very little about that particular prophet. The book of Jonah is totally opposite of that. The whole story is about his life and what he went through. And only in chapter 3 do we have the message that he was to give to the people of Nineveh. And it's only a single sentence. So the message that Jonah preached was a one-sentence message. Now don't get excited and think I'm just going to start preaching one-sentence messages to you. But, but that's all his was. Here it is in chapter 3. His message was, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, maybe you envision Jonah running through the streets of Nineveh and with great urgency and with awesome passion preaching this one-sentence message. That was not the case. He was as unenergetic as anybody could be. Why? Because he really didn't want them to repent. He wanted them to die and go to hell. And so I'm thinking he's walking through the streets kind of like this. Okay, you got 40 days. 40 days you'll be overthrown. You got 40 days. If you don't repent, you're going to die. You got 40 days. If you don't repent, you're going to be annihilated. I mean, who's going to listen to that? Well, let me tell you, the people of Nineveh did. Why? Because God's word is God's word. And there was enough truth in his message and light from God in that brief message that the people of Nineveh realized what God demanded from them, and they actually repented. Now, before God can use us the way he intends to use us in his kingdom and in his world, we need to get on board with God. Okay? If we're going to be on mission with God, that means we're going to have to get on God's boat. We're going to have to see things the way God sees them and speak as God speaks and, and do as God does. But before that can happen, we need to understand one thing about God and we need to understand one thing about ourselves. So if you add that up, I got two points this morning. First of all, let's understand what God's passion is. My first point is God has a quest, a passion, a mission, and his quest is to reach the nations of the world. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. 
Now, the word of the Lord, and concentrate on that phrase, the word of the Lord, came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The book's main character is not Jonah, and it's certainly not the huge fish. The main character of this book is God. I love what the old preacher G. Campbell Morgan said about the book of Jonah. He said, men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. And that's really what this book is about, a great God. God is in control of every factor in this story. And it all originates with the word of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 1. It's the word of the Lord that changes everything. When Jonah rebels, God has control over all the natural elements that are going to be used to get Jonah's attention. For example, the storm and the great fish. Later on in the story, the plant, the worm, and the sun, all were used by God. Not only that, God has authority over Nineveh. God is pretty fed up with Nineveh, and God intends to destroy it. Can he do that? Well, yes, he can, because God is in control. But overarching this entire story, we see God's grace at work. God's grace is a theme or a motif or a string that runs throughout this entire story. It is God's grace that saves these sailors from the storm. We're going to talk about the storm next week. These are seasoned sailors, and they are scared to death. They think they're going to die in this storm. What saves them? It's the grace of God. It was the grace of God that saved Jonah in the belly of the whale. Now, I told the first service people, I, can't, I cannot imagine being in the stomach of a fish. Can you imagine that? Especially for three days and three nights. The, the, the worst smell that I've ever inhaled was at a pig farm. Uh, I, I don't remember the occasion, but my, my dad's brother, my uncle Richard, took us to this pig farm. I have no idea why we were there. I was a teenager, but man, I'm telling you, dude, it stunk. It was the worst stench I've ever smelt before. And, and sometimes I can just still smell it. It's been 40 years ago, but I can still smell that stench. So... I, if a pig farm was that bad, can you imagine being in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights? If, you know what? Let me just talk to you. Theologians assume that what happened is those acids bleached Jonah's skin white. And, and he was a freak when he came out of that fish's belly. No wonder the people of Nineveh listened to him, huh? <laughs> So it's God's grace that saved the sailors from the storm. It's God's grace that saved Jonah from the fish's stomach. And it is God's grace that saved the city of Nineveh from destruction. God's grace is written all over this story. And let me tell you, God's grace is available for you today. That's the good news I have for you today. God's grace is for the taking today. Look at verse number 2. Here's the mission that God gave Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has come up before me. Real quick, three things about this verse. First of all, we see the city was great. In fact, one of the great cities of the day was Nineveh, the greatest city probably on the face of the earth at that time. 
They had a population of 120,000 people. In comparison, that's basically what we have in the River Valley, about 120,000 people. You say, well, that's not that big. Well, you think about this. This is thousands of years ago. This was a huge city. Nineveh lay on the eastern banks of the Tigris River in Assyria. Chapter 3, verse 3 tells us this city was so massive that if you walked around it, it would take you about three days to do so. So it was a great city. Secondly, their wickedness was great. Nineveh was the epitome of human exaltation and anti-God power. Nineveh would later become the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh stands for all that is big and all that is bad and all that is an affront to Almighty God. Nineveh was on par with the city of Sodom, which was the most wicked city ever. Now, let me try to put all this into comparison for us. You know, sometimes I just sit back and I think, can our world get any worse? I mean, I've, I, in my lifetime, I have watched the, the, the moral standard of America drop dramatically. And, and what, what would never even be spoken in public when I was a kid is, is on every channel you turn the TV on today. I mean, it, it, and you think, can it get any more wicked than it is? And, and, and we see the world, you know, our country, oh, it's just as wicked as it is. Let me tell you, wickedness is nothing new. Wickedness began in Genesis chapter 3. And people given to their own selves will do the wicked thing, the wrong thing. And there have been entire cities that have been given over to wickedness. Sodom is one. Nineveh is another. Let that be a warning to us today. God is only going to tolerate it for so long. He destroyed the city of Sodom. He came close to destroying the city of Nineveh. Why? Because of their wickedness. Oh, it was a wicked, wicked city. But the third thing that we see in this verse is not only the city was great and the city was, wickedness was great, but God's compassion for them was great. Nineveh would later become the capital of perhaps the most powerful nation in the time, the, the nation of Assyria. Did, did you know that God has a heart for the nations of the world? God is holy and just, yes. Nineveh was the exact opposite of God. They were not holy, nor were they just. And they were going to be judged by God if they didn't repent. But you know what? God cared about them. God has a heart for the nations of this world. God had a heart for the people of the city of Nineveh. And God has a heart for the people no matter where they are today. You really see this running all the way through the Bible. So let me just step back and say this. God isn't just concerned about us. Because I think that's our tendency to believe that. God is just more concerned with us than he is with everybody else. No, he's not. If you think that way, you need to get over it. God's concerned with everybody. God doesn't just love you as an American. God loves the people of the world. God loves the nations of the world. No matter what country it is, no matter what color they are, no matter what creed they have, God loves them. God loves all people. 
we got a problem with that. But you know what? We're not the only ones who have had that problem. God's covenant people, the Jews, they felt the same way. They never really could understand that God's intention was not just to bless them with his love, but also to extend that blessing through them to all the nations of the world. God was going to bless Israel, but God wanted to use the Israelites to bless all the nations of the world. How do we know that? Well, listen to what God said to Abraham in the book of Genesis. Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And get this, and through your offspring, all the nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That was the original plan. God wanted to bless the nations of the world through his people, the Jews. God's passion for the nations hasn't changed. How do we know that? Well, listen to what Jesus had to say about the nations when he gave his great commission to his disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of who? All nations. All nations. And when we race forward to the end of the Bible, to this scene in heaven, this is what John saw. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every what? Nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and it goes on to tell us what they were doing is giving praise to Almighty God. God's passion is to reach the nations of the world. The quest of God is for everyone to be saved. Did you know the fact is we actually live in a multinational world? Today we are told that there are 235 different countries or territories in the world. And, and I know that to be the case this month of August. I've, I've covenanted with some people from international missions and some other pastors. And they're having a 24-hour-a-day prayer marathon going on every day where we pray for the nations of the world. So through the month of August, I've been praying for 235 different nations in the world. And half of them I can't even pronounce the name. You know, and, and I know in most of those, we don't have a free will Baptist missionary. In some of those countries, they are so dark, there's not a single missionary. But God loves them. These are the nations of the world. And, and, and added to that are different ethnic groups or people groups. I, I understand that there are over 7,000 different languages and dialects spoken on planet Earth. These are the nations of the world. And the nations of the world have literally come to us. Think about this. You go to school with people from the nations of the world. Right here in Fort Smith, Arkansas, we have represented peoples from all different kinds of nationalities. Within a mile of this church, different nations are represented. The nations of the world have come to this country. They have come to America. They are populating 
our country now. And so you know what? God wants us to reach those people. We are not to isolate ourselves from them or think, I don't want to get around those people. I don't want them being around my family. No, we are to reach them with the good news of the gospel. Whether they are on the other side of the world or right down the street from you, God's passion is to reach those people. But you got to understand the quest of God involves you. Because God is going to reach those nations through you. And we all say, oh, okay, praise the Lord. God's going to use his church. God's going to use other believers. There's plenty others. It doesn't involve me. <laughs> no, no, God wants to use you. Listen to this. God wants to use Kavanaugh Church to reach the nations of the world. What is our mission? To win people to Christ, to train believers to become disciples, to send disciples back out into the what? The world to do the process all over again. And in order for that to happen, you've got to be willing to overcome any obstacle in your own life to reach people that are different than you. And that really brings me to point number two. Not only does God have a quest to reach the nations, we sometimes struggle to join God in his quest. Jonah has a problem getting God's passion in his heart. Jonah has a hard time joining God in his quest. Look, look with me at verse number 3 again. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. God said, go. Jonah said, no. <laughs> and so what does he do? Well, he goes down to Joppa, and he gets on a ship going to Tarshish. Now, just imagine with me a, a map. Here's, here's Joppa here. To the north and east of Joppa, we have Nineveh, which is about 550 miles from Joppa. Way over here on the west, we have Tarshish, which is about 2,100 miles from Joppa. And from Tarshish to Nineveh, it's about 2,600 miles. Again, Tarshish was the furthest known point in the world at that time. So what was Jonah doing? He was running as far away from God as he possibly could geographically. The Bible reaffirms right here in verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord. Jonah ran to flee from God. Now, what is even more significant is that Hebrews were landlubbers with little experience with the sea. And for Jonah to entrust himself to an ocean-going vessel reveals his desperation and his attempt to get as far away from doing what God called him to do. Now, now let me just sum up how this story unfolds to you. Jonah's problem with obeying God doesn't come because Jonah doesn't know God. Let that sink in. Jonah's problem with doing the will of God doesn't come because of Jonah's lack of understanding of who God is. In fact, it's just the opposite of that. Jonah knows exactly, because Jonah knows God. He's a prophet of God. 
Jonah knows exactly what is going to happen if he does go to Nineveh and he does preach this one-sentence message. He knows, and listen to this, he knows that if he preaches and those people repent, God is going to give them grace and mercy. Because that's what God does. Whoa, that's what God does. Do we deserve that? Did the people of Nineveh deserve his grace and mercy and forgiveness? Absolutely not. Do we deserve it? No. But that's what God does. Why? Because he has a heart for the nations of the world. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to faith in him. And Jonah knew that. And that's the issue. That's the problem. Jonah doesn't have the heart of God for this great city. Now, I went shooting cowboy yesterday at our local club, the Old Fort Smith Gun Club, and we've got a stage out there that is the Kavanaugh Church. A guy in our church donated the money for this stage to be built, and guys from our church literally went out there and built that structure, and it's the church. Another guy in our church had a sign made for it. It says, Kavanaugh Church, preach your holy smoke. Okay? And so, so every month when we go to shoot, we, we go to each stage, and we'll go to the church stage, and if I'm there, Keenan, I'm the one who reads the stage description of, of what we do. It's, it's 10 rifle, 10 pistols holstered, 4 plus shotgun, and then you read the description of how we're going to shoot this stage. But when we get to the church, everybody knows. What do they know, Cowpoke? They know that I'm going to preach a sermon. They, I mean, they just know that. They're, they're ready for it. My sermon, Angie asked me, said, well, how long do you preach? It's not long. <laughs> It's almost like one of these one-sentence sermons, but it's just a short little sermon. I tell them, basically, you know what? You, you might be a dirty, rotten, no-good-for-nothing sinner, and you are, but God loves you. Not, not in so many words, but that's generally the gist of what I'm saying to them. Yesterday, I, I, I gave them the, the book of Jonah, this sermon, in synopsis form, really talking about the grace of God. And after, after it was over with, this old cowboy, I don't, I don't remember who he was at this point in time, but he came to me and said, you know, you know, old Jonah had a problem with those people of Nineveh, did And I said, yeah, he sure did. And he says, in fact, I remember reading that story a long time ago. I don't think, I don't think old Jonah liked those people very much, did he? I said, no. He said, fact of the matter is, I, I really kind of think reading that story, Jonah wanted those people to die. That old cowboy had it right. That's the issue here. Jonah hated the Ninevites. They stood against everything he believed in. He was pro-God. They were anti-God. He was don't smoke, dip, cuss, or chew, or go with girls who do. I don't know how I remembered that, but anyway. You know what? They were all about that. They were, they were wild. They were ungodly. They were everything Jonah wasn't. And because of that, Jonah had a disdain for them. Jonah could have cared less if repentance was preached to them. In fact, Jonah wanted them to die and go to hell. Jonah wanted God to nuke them. You say, oh. Hey, you know what? Think about it. Sometimes we feel the same way about people who are not just like us. 
don't we? pretty sad, isn't it? Because that's not the heart of God. What, what is the heart of God? I'm going to take you one last passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see the heart of God. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And before I finish this passage, let me surmise what he's saying here. He is saying, here we are, lost in our trespasses and sins, and we are, folks, I mean, without Jesus, we have no hope. Without Jesus, we have no future. Without Jesus, we only have condemnation and death. Without Jesus, we only have hell. Why? Because we're separated from God. But God, who is rich in his grace and his mercy, has reconciled us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, God is all about reconciliation. God is all about having a personal relationship with you because God loves you just like he loves the people of the nations of this world. And so Jesus has reconciled us with God. And if we have been reconciled with God, that means we are a born-again believer. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We are a child of God. And because of that, God has commissioned us with this ministry of reconciliation. It's our job. It's our mission. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I remember that Sunday night, I invited Jesus into my heart. Just like you remember the night you invited Jesus into your heart. You know, I, I know Brother Zellers was preaching on hell that night. <laughs> But I can't remember his points. I don't remember anything else about what I do remember is the Holy Spirit getting a hold of my heart. And for me, as a six year old kid coming to the realization if I don't accept Jesus as my Savior, I'm going to hell. And so I told him at the altar, he said, William, what can I pray for you? I said, I don't want to go to hell, Brother Zeller. He said, I can help you with that. And God changed my life that night. You may be listening to me online, or you may be live in this audience, and all of a sudden, not really because of anything I've said, all of a sudden, though, because of God's power in the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, you realize, you know what? Things are not right in my life. And if I died right now, I wouldn't spend eternity in heaven. And the Holy Spirit has got a hold of you right now, Friends, don't, don't reject that. I plead with you. I urge you. I beg you. 
Be reconciled with God. Accept Jesus as your Savior. Again, you say, well, how do I do that? Let me tell you, it's as simple as ABC. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe Jesus is the only one who can save you. And C, confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please, please be reconciled to God. And if you are reconciled, let's, let's man up this morning. Let's woman up. Let's become people of reconciliation. Let's become the ambassador of Jesus Christ. I can tell you that a great thing happens in this story. This great city repents on such a sweeping scale that God forgives them. Now, it doesn't tell us how many people repented, but it does tell us from the king all the way down to the lowest servant, they all repented of their sins. I kind of believe that all 120,000 of them repented of their sins. And because they repented, God forgave them, and God saved them. And it all happened through the preaching of one prophet, one man, who didn't really even want to go there. But after God straightened Jonah out, and he does obey, it just required one man in the hands of a mighty God to save an entire city. Here in a minute, I'm going to talk about divine mathematics. That's pretty cool right there. One person, and I mean, listen, Jonah didn't even want to go. He wasn't passionate in his preaching when he got there. And if God can use somebody like that to change an entire city, I mean, what can God do with you? Let me tell you, God can do great things with you. So, what's holding you back? God's given you a mission to win, train, send. God's given you a mandate. Let's do it, people. Let's do it. Let's reach the nations of the world. How do we do that? Two ways, and I close. Number one, you tell people about Jesus. God has brought the nations of the world right here to you, where you work, where you live, where you go to school. The people of the world, the nations of the world are here, and our job is to tell them the good news. You with me? When do we start that? How about right now? How about right now, you committing your life to Jesus, saying, Lord, I want to be used by you. Maybe I'm afraid or I don't know exactly how. Just help me. Put the words in my mouth. Give me the courage to speak it, to win, train, sin. That's one way we can do it, Stacy. The other way we can do it is give. We can give so that missionaries can go to the places we can't go and tell the people that we're not going to be able to tell. This is a special day. It's World Mission Offering Day. That's why I'm preaching this sermon today. Today's WMO. For the last four years, beginning in 2017, we have set one Sunday aside, the World Mission Offering Day, to give to world missions. And what we did back in 2017, we made this bold decision at Kavanaugh Church that it was going to be a give-it-all Sunday so that everything that came in to our church that Sunday would go to world missions. Now, Believe it or not, there were some people who were not happy with that decision. And I got some comments. I got some letters sent to me. People, people not happy with it. You know what? And, and that's okay. That's okay. 
It's a scary thing. It really is scary. Let me break it down like this. How many of y'all are play, paid weekly? Okay. Monthly? How many of y'all get paid? <laughs> how, how about this? How about you taking one week's salary out of your yearly budget and just giving all that money away? That's a scary thought right there. Because if, if you're like us, you know, one, one week's a big deal. If I, if, I, if I gave one week's of my salary away, boy, how am I going to live? How am I going to pay my bills? Did you know it's even worse for the church? We, we live week to week to week to week. And if you're going to give one week's offering away and not use it to meet the budget that you have, that's a scary deal. I can remember struggling with this because it started in my heart. And then I went before our church board and I said, what do you guys think? Let me tell you, my church, our church board has a whole lot more faith sometimes than I do. They said, well, let's do it. Let's do it. That just kind of gives you a taste of the people we have at Kavanaugh Church. And you know what? That's what you've done the past four years. Here's where I'll get back into divine mathematics. I, I don't know how he can do it, but somehow or another, God can take 51 weeks of offering and expand them to cover the 52 weeks that we have. It's amazing. Let me say it like this. You can't outgive God. And so today, when you walk out this building, there's going to be the offering boxes out there. I want you to give not only what you normally give, but I'm going to encourage you to give more. That's what I'm doing today. I'm giving more. Why? Because it's going to world missions. Our offering today is going to missions to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I don't know how all this is going to play out. I may never know on this side of eternity what my offering today has done for the kingdom of God. But i got to believe... As that old song says, one day in heaven, there might be somebody who walks up to you, Stacy, and says to you, I want to thank you for giving to the Lord. You may not know it, but on the last Sunday of August, August the 30th, 2020, World Mission Offering, you gave to the Lord at Kavanaugh Church the World Mission Offering, and God took what you gave, and because of that, I'm in heaven today. You say, preacher, that's pretty corny. No, it's not. Because that's how God works. Let's get on mission, people. You ready? Let's get on mission. Let's build the kingdom of God. Let's do it not only here at Kavanaugh Church. Let's do it worldwide. Let's get on board with what God is doing. And let's have the same quest he has. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless our hearts today by your word, and I pray that we would follow it through your will by doing what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that we would have a passion for people, that we would be all about winning people to Christ, training believers to become disciples, and sending disciples back out into the world to make an impact for you. And I pray, dear Lord, that it would start right here in this room in our own hearts as we say yes to you. Dear Lord, Bless our missionaries who have given up so much to go to the uttermost parts of the earth to share the good news with the nations of the world. Lord, help us to give liberally today and not only give, but to pray. 
Dear Lord, I don't know, maybe, maybe in this service with this group of people, maybe you want to call some of us to be missionaries. Not just our young people. Maybe you want to call some older adults to give up what they have here and, and go to the nations of the world. And Lord, if that is the case, I, I pray that you would melt our hearts and help us to say yes to your call in our life. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Listen, if, if you need to talk to one of your pastors after service today, we're all going to be around. If you're online, please come by this week or call us. We're here to help you, and we love you. As you mask up and walk out the door, make sure you drop your offering into the offering box. Everything today goes to world missions. Now, let me just remind you a couple of things. Even though Johnny is having kids' church today at 6 o'clock, he's going to be online for those kids who were not able to be here today. At uh, 6 o'clock, Nathan's going to be on Instagram live with the youth service. And at 6.30, Rick Yates is going to finish what he started last week, part two of his Bible study. Wednesday night is going to be our last night online only. And Wednesday night, Brother Nathan's going to preach. But then after that, we're going to start having church again in person on Wednesday night. September the 9th is a special service we're hosting here, uh, Family Ministries. Uh, the organization in Tennessee that owns Maggie House and the Young Home, uh, they're going to have a special benefit service, and we're hosting it at Kavanaugh Church. Uh, Jim McComas, the uh, executive director of, of uh, Family Ministries, is going to be here. Some people are going to be with him. They're going to sing gospel songs. And then a comedian is going to be here. Uh, Linda Savage has heard this comedian, I think, in Branson before. And Linda says he's, he's the funniest guy she's ever heard. Okay? And so we invite you to come to that service. Then the following Wednesday night, which is going to be September 16th, we're going back to normal Wednesday night surf. Nathan's going to have teens back in attendance. And you guys are going to be meeting in the big gym so there can be social distancing. If you're an adult, we're going to go back to Wednesday night service. On September the 13th, which is a Sunday here in a couple of weeks, we're going to start We Worship back up again during this service. So take note of that. And uh, if you'd like to volunteer to help, uh, Caleb and Ashwin would be lo love to fill you, put you in a slot and, uh, and use you. Uh, until then, uh, let's continue to pray every day at 1.30 for it's our turn. Uh, I've been out of town for the last uh, week and a half, and when I left, there was nothing out of the ground out here. I come back, and we have a steel structure out here. If you're parked over on this side, drive around the building, and you can get a picture of what our new building is going to look like. Every day at 1.30, keep praying for it's our turn and for our building. Uh, probably it's going to be 2021 before we reignite the campaign. It's our turn, but you be praying about what God would have you to do. The staff loves you. I love you. Love you. Most of all, God loves you. All right? God bless you. Have a great day.